0: Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. History is being made today. In a little less than three hours from now, Donald J. Trump will be sworn in as the nation's 45th president. During the next hour, we'll be speaking with journalists, members of Congress, and analysts, and we want to hear from you, too, all asking about the Trump presidency. What do you expect? What would you like the president-elect, he will be the president then, to say in his inaugural address? to call, or send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. And this will be a fast-moving hour. Joining us first is NPR political reporter Scott Detrow, who is in Washington. Scott, welcome to the program. Where are you this morning?
1: At the inauguration,
2: Scott.
0: <laughs> well, I'm glad that we established that. that you're yes. That's are the-
2: <laughs> Well, Eight years ago, I was out on the mall, and it was freezing cold. Uh, I am happy for my sake that this time around I'm actually inside the U.S. Capitol I just looked out a window onto the mall, down onto the inaugural platform. Uh, later today, I'm going to be covering that luncheon that happens right after the, uh, that happens right after the swearing-in ceremony.
0: Okay, well, let's talk about the, the scene now. You know, I hate those questions, what's the mood, because it's hard for you to answer that question. But could you describe the scene right now, a few hours before Donald Trump is sworn in?
2: Well, people are trickling into the mall, uh, that, uh, that main area in between the U.S. Capitol and, if you've been to D.C., that big monument to Ulysses Grant and there's a big kind of reflecting pool. That area looks to be a, uh, fully filled in. Those are the people who have tickets, VIPs, people with connections to Trump, a lot of media. And uh, the rest of the mall, which is open access, is starting to fill in, but it definitely looks like a much smaller crowd than we saw the last two inaugurations for President Obama. We are starting to see more uh, protest activity than um, than we had earlier this morning. There are several uh, security checkpoints to get around the mall, and uh, protesters have have tried to block those entrances. Um, So we've we've seen some confrontations, and we've seen uh, police just directing people to other entrance points that are not blocked off by protesters.
0: When you say they're trying to block off uh, the entrance points, I mean, these are people who have tickets, people who are just going to be standing there in the mall, or, or, you know, who are they trying to block?
2: I think these are happening more at the mall, which is just general admission. You just have to go through security to get there. I'm not 100% sure, but but we have reporters all over the city, and there are several different points where these these, uh, protests are happening right now. There's also... I mean, a big event attracts all sorts of people. That's why there's so much security. There's also protests, like uh, there's a group that, that's protesting the federal government blocking Washington, D.C.'s law, uh, legalizing marijuana, and they're responding by handing out marijuana to people who come by. So that's another thing that's happening right now, a lot going on here in Washington.
0: I, I'm not going to ask if you walked by that, uh, <laughs> you know, that, that part of it. But you, uh... you can just
2: figure it out from the lucidity of my answers. <laughs> uh...
0: So it's kind of a test case right here on yeah. the air. <laughs> (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, we joke about this, Scott, but when there is a major event like this, and and you probably saw this with all the campaign events that you covered over the past year and a half, but when there is a a major event like this, almost everyone who has a cause is there. And whether they're handing out uh, marijuana, that's kind of unusual. But, uh, you know, someone who has a, a cause that they're very passionate about that that they will be there protesting or at least uh, demonstrating. So that's no surprise that you're seeing this. You know, and this g- shows how much things have changed. I was just looking through some pictures. I covered the my first inauguration. I covered was the Reagan inauguration in 1981 mm-hmm. where there were these pennants handed out that said ERA now, Equal Rights Amendment, and that was the big issue at the time. Things have changed over the past uh, 30 years, haven't they?
2: Yeah, uh, yeah, and it's a, it's a real contrast today and tomorrow as well, because today you've got, they're expecting 700,000 to 900,000 people maybe to show up for for Donald Trump's inauguration. And just walking from NPR to the Capitol, I saw people wearing that, that famous Make America Great Again hat all over the place. I saw a Trump paraphernalia being sold. A lot of people came to town and were really excited. I saw buses pulling up, you know, before 5 in the morning already, getting people off the bus. So that's today, and then tomorrow there's a big uh, counter rally where again hundreds of thousands of people are expected, and they're going to be marching to protest against Donald Trump. It's billed as as a women's march where women from all over the country are coming to uh, to to voice their opposition to the, to the new president. So it's going to be a very busy few days here in Washington. And of course, yesterday was the kicking off the ceremonies. There was a big concert in the Lincoln Memorial. Trump said he didn't think that had ever been done before. In fact. Uh, the last few presidents have had very similar concerts but it it had a big fireworks display uh, last night at the Lincoln Memorial
0: mm-hmm. and speaking of that women's march on Washington there are uh, dozens hundreds maybe even thousands from Pennsylvania who will be attending uh, tomorrow uh, and because we are uh, asking for your phone calls we'd like to hear from uh, someone who is attending that march on Washington tomorrow 1 eight hundred seven two nine five three two all right Scott let's so let's talk about what actually is occurring today, yeah. other than the ceremonies? One of the most significant events, if I could refer to it as an event, is uh, Donald Trump getting the nuclear codes. Mm-hmm. Has that happened yet? Can you describe how, you know, how that happens? We didn't. We don't know for sure when it's
2: happening. That's not something they publicized or put on the public schedule. But we know that previous presidents, it typically happens the morning uh, of the twentieth. Uh, you know, for Bill Clinton, it happened just before the uh, the church service that's happening right now. So I think we can assume that's happened already, and that's uh that's a really heady moment. Obviously you're you're being told how to launch a nuclear strike. It can't get any bigger than that and it can't get any more serious than that. Of course given uh Donald Trump's uh temperament, given the way he's prone to pick fights, given things he said about his views on, on nuclear policy that's a prospect that's worried a lot of people, a lot of people who, who, who oppose Donald Trump. But, you know, it's just a reality. And at noon, that'll be his responsibility. So that probably happened. Uh, right now, Trump is in a service at St. John's Church right across the street from the White House. And in a few minutes, he and Melania Trump are going to go to the White House, and they're going to meet with President Obama and Michelle Obama. They're all going to have coffee and tea and then they all travel up together in a, in a symbolic show of the transfer of power, they're all going to ride together to the Capitol for the inauguration.
0: Uh, what about, uh, you know, again, that's kind of part of the, the ceremonial uh, part of the inauguration today. Any other responsibilities or you know, responsibilities of the new president that are being handed off? I mean, other than the nuclear codes, yeah. other things that are happening?
2: Well, one thing that the Trump's transition team has, has uh, indicated is that he's going to start signing executive orders right away. We're not sure if that means you know this afternoon or first thing Monday morning, but in the first few days of his presidency, he's going to sign a lot of paperwork. And a lot of that paperwork's goal will be to undo executive actions that the Obama administration took over the last eight years. Uh, you know, Obama did a lot of things without Congress, and the downside of that is that another president can undo them. And when it comes to big regulations like, uh, like you know, a big EPA rule that would uh, shift the entire country's energy uh, away from coal and toward more natural gas... Uh, Donald Trump has made it clear he wants to undo that, you know, immigration actions. A lot of activity is going to be happening over the next few days.
0: Do we have any idea? You you just touched on a few of them. But do we have any idea what his priorities are here on day one?
2: Um, Well, the first big few things he wants to do, and, you know, the the timing of them is is unclear. He said he wants to do this as quickly as possible. But when Congress is involved, quick is, is kind of a relative term. Especially when it's complicated policy, but uh, undoing Obamacare and replacing it with uh, a, a new health care policy, uh, but the details of that is what we're waiting on. We don't know what Republicans in Congress or, or the Trump administration wants to do on that. Uh, beginning the process of strengthening border security. You know, he talked every day running for president about building a wall along the entire uh, U.S. Mexico border. Since then, they've said, you know, whether or not the wall happens right away, they are going to push for the wall. But regardless, they're going to increase border security. That's something he's going to push for right away. And uh, his chief of staff, Ryan Freibus, says that uh, they want to see major tax reform as well. well. Tax cuts, corporate tax cuts, things Republicans always push for. Uh, this will be the first time in more than 10 years that they've had complete control over the federal government. So they want to, they want to take advantage of that.
0: So, as far as the inauguration the inaugural address today, what will you be looking for? What will you be listening for?
2: I think I will be listening for his tone, whether he's combative or whether he reaches out a hand uh, He over the course of this transition, continued to pick fights with people, continued to slam any high profile person who questioned him. you know, but the night that he was elected president, he did give an open speech. He did reach across the aisle. He did try to speak to all Americans, even, you know, the majority of Americans who did not vote for him. Um, so will he take that big uh, open view? Will he kind of embrace the ceremony or the office today? Or, we, or will it be more, it'd be more like a campaign speech, more off the cuff? You know, that, that's what I want to listen for.
0: NPR's political reporter, Scott Detrow. Scott, thank you very much for joining us today.
2: Anytime. I'll talk to you soon, Scott. And
0: we'll be listening for your reports throughout the day on NPR. Thanks, Scott. And, and I should mention that uh, the coverage of the inauguration will be occurring throughout the day here on WITF uh, from NPR, starting at 10 o'clock right after, right after uh, Smart Talk ends today and it goes from 10 to 4. So you'll hear Scott Detrow and about a dozen more NPR reporters uh, coming to you from uh, Washington today. You're listening to Smart Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR news and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. It is Inauguration Day. Donald Trump will be inaugurated as the nation's 45th president in less than three hours from now. Here on Smart Talk, we're taking your phone calls, your emails, your Facebook posts, your tweets on Twitter as well. 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to SmartTalk at WITF.org. You can go on WITF's Facebook page or on Twitter at SmartTalk WITF. Uh, We will get to your phone calls in just a moment. But first, we're joined by Dr. David O'Connell, Assistant Professor of Political Science at Dickinson College. Dr. O'Connell, welcome to the program.
3: Thanks for having me again.
0: The big question is what to look for today. I ask that same question of Scott Detrow, who is there. But as a political scientist, what are you looking for? What are you looking to hear in the inaugural address? What are you expecting or looking forward to today?
3: Sure. Well, I think that this is an extremely important address for Trump. This is, in my mind, really the third opportunity he's had to give a national address. The first was his speech at the Republican National Convention. The second was the speech the night that he won the election. And then we have today. Uh, The speech after he... Uh, spoke at the Republican National Convention, that I don't think was a very good speech. I think it was extremely long. I think it was dark. It was negative. His speech after he won the election was, was much better. And, and as Scott said, tone is important. In that speech, he was much more gracious, more humble, willing to extend a hand to those who had opposed him. And I think that you'd hope you would see some of that rhetoric today. Uh, I'd also be interested in the length. I think historically the better inaugural addresses are shorter inaugural addresses. He has said his is going to be short. Yeah. Uh, Kennedy in 1961 is a really good example. And the third thing I'd be looking for is that Inaugural addresses, they're not really about specific policy ideas. You lay those things out in, say, your State of the Union. An inaugural address is about the big picture. Uh, and you try to find those kind of great phrases that are going to stick with people. Government is the problem. And is Trump capable of coming up with some type of theme that's not necessarily make America great again, but it's going to be a little more specific in how he's going to do that going forward?
0: I know you're a presidential historian. Shortest uh, address?
3: Uh, I think the shortest address was George Washington. Is that right? 135 okay. words. Right. <laughs> I saw
0: that yesterday online. Okay. Uh,
3: so presidential trivia, I had to, yeah.
0: had to remember it. Uh, 135 words is not a yeah. whole lot. And know.
3: the longest was William Henry Harrison. And we know? Do we know? We should tell everyone how that turned out. Uh, well, he caught pneumonia and, and died. <laughs> That's right. It's <laughs> so. a very,
0: very cold day out yeah. there. So I think there's a lesson in between there. Yeah. Uh, but let's face it. You know, I said in the introduction that uh, uh, this is probably unique in American history. I mean, we've been divided, obviously, before. I mean, we fought a war uh, when the country was divided. People died. Uh, but politically, we probably are as divided as we've been in maybe 100 years, a, a long time, put it that way. Uh, Donald Trump has been a lightning rod for controversy. There seems to be no gray area with Donald Trump. I mean, he he has his supporters who were very supportive, no matter what he said, and then there are people who just absolutely abhor him and have said he's not my president. So, with that in mind, uh, you know, described uh, inaugurations as celebrations, and what you just talked about sounds like it's an opportunity to bring the country together. Can Trump do that?
3: Uh, well, I don't. I don't necessarily think any any speech has that that. Uh, capability. Um, I think that the research we have in terms of how people respond to speeches shows that very infrequently do they move people's opinions. So if Trump right now is at about 40% favorability, 40% approval of his transition, I don't necessarily see a large jump in his approval ratings next week because he gives a, a compelling address today. But I would kind of push back on the idea that. Everyone is so so divided. I think the really? picture. Yeah, I think the picture is a little more complicated. If we think about, say, the women's march tomorrow, uh, and that I've seen estimates of maybe two hundred thousand people showing up. Well, that's that's certainly a large amount of people. But then if we think about the actual election, well, Trump won the votes of white women by by ten points. Uh, and I think the picture is always just a little more complex. Uh, that certainly there are people, there are women, uh, there are minorities that are very upset. Uh, but there are others who said. That this election was a choice between two flawed candidates and Trump is going to be the president and they'll look at that with an open mind. Uh,
0: Let's go to the phone now. Brenda is from Mount Joy and uh, Brenda was one of the bus organizers for the Women's March tomorrow. Brenda, thank you for joining us today.
4: You bet. Thanks for having me.
0: So why are you marching on Washington tomorrow?
4: Um, It's numerous reasons and I, I think it's that way for a lot of the women and men who are going tomorrow. Uh, Some of it has to do with our fear of what's going to be undone, uh, such as some of the immigration laws, um, especially when it comes to health care laws, as well as just women's rights and how far we've come and how far we've not come. I mean, the headway that we've made over the years, we kind of see coming to a standstill, and that's terrifying for a lot of us. Um, Donald Trump's rhetoric when it comes to women was just horrid for us to watch. And I think that's why a lot of us are marching. But even those who voted for Trump, but aren't happy with some of his um, choices will be there. And I know some pro-life people will be there, pro-choice. It really will be a mix.
0: So you mentioned a few of the issues. Uh, Is there an issue in particular that's driving you?
4: Absolutely. Um, health care is a big thing for me. I lost my first husband eight years ago to a rare cancer and he was Canadian and we were at the point where we were going to hit our lifetime maximum of $2 million in just four short months because of the skyrocketing cost of health care. So we would have had to immigrate back to his home country of Canada to continue his coverage. He passed away before that time, but I never want to see that happen to any other person. Um, I've seen a lot of other widows lose their husbands or lose their spouses because of a failing health care in America. And we've come so far with the options. I know it's expensive. I know it's not perfect. But when you know that people die because they didn't have access to health care coverage, you can't live with that.
0: But, you know, the president-elect has said that uh, there will be a replacement. Uh, You don't sound like you have a whole lot of confidence in that.
4: Unfortunately not. And, you know, it comes down to Congress, in addition. You know, Trump isn't just the concern. It also comes down to our congressmen who are already starting to repeal parts of the health care of Affordable Care Act without having anything in its place. You can't do that and leave people in this limbo. They were already in limbo for so many years not having coverage. And now just to throw everything out the door and and just say, okay, you know, we're going to try something new without having any plan. It doesn't sound like he has a plan for much of anything, and that's what scares us.
0: Brenda, thank you very much for your call.
4: You bet. Thank you.
0: You know, one thing I do notice, and again, a note here, uh, Dr. O'Connell, that there are a lot of people who say they weren't politically involved, who are attending the march, the Women's March in Washington tomorrow, but have gotten politically active. And for both sides, not just uh, to oppose Donald Trump, but also to support Donald Trump. That's a good thing
3: yeah absolutely i mean i think that any political scientist thinks that democracy works better when more people are involved and engaged mm-hmm. so that's definitely a good thing let's take a call from jim in enola jim you're on the air
1: hi scott uh um uh, i think that uh, today is election day and it's a it's a great day for all americans i did not vote for mr trump i did not support mr trump i actually supported and campaigned for his opponent but i reject the notion that uh, Mr. Trump was not legitimately elected. There there were a lot of very questionable things, what Comey did, the Russian hacking, and all that kind of stuff. But there's just no evidence that... That uh, 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 he didn 't win the election fair and square, according to our constitution, I think that it 's a mistake for people who oppose Trump to rail on about uh, how he 's not a legitimate president. I think what we need to do, on the other hand, is focus on what his proposals are, and if we support them great and if we don 't support them, we should uh, oppose them with uh, every fiber in our being. Yes. I, I think that uh, you know uh, we have a great democracy. Uh, like President Obama, I, I am optimistic that our that our elect uh, that, that our uh, constitution in our country is going to survive this, and I think that the only way we're going to survive this is for people who don't support Mr. Trump's policies to uh, to oppose them as vigorously as possible.
0: All right, Jim. Thank you very much for your call, uh, Dr. Connell, What Jim said about uh, those people who have been very very vocal in saying. Not my president, was not elected legitimately, not a legitimate president. Your thoughts?
3: Well, I think that that's a concerning development. That's actually been something we've been seeing over the course of the last few presidencies. Bush had to deal with questions about his legitimacy given the Supreme Court's involvement in the election in 2000. Obama faced Uh, really kind of unfair and preposterous questions about his legitimacy with the birther movement, which Trump, of course, promoted. Uh, And now Trump is facing those same types of questions given Russian involvement in the election and so forth and so on. Uh, And I don't think that that's that's helpful. I think it makes it difficult for any president to find a justification to act and a justification to lead. Uh, I do agree with the caller's point that Trump won the election. Uh, When people focus on, say, the fact that he lost the popular vote, I think that misunderstand understands the way elections work. Popular vote doesn't matter. And we can't say for certain whether Trump would have won the popular vote if we didn't have the electoral college, because then people campaign differently and voters behave differently. We know that people respond to the closeness of an election. And a lot of those states that were not competitive, people don't turn out because they feel their votes don't matter. If we had a national popular vote, we can't say for certain that Hillary Clinton wins that popular vote. So Trump won using the rules that we use. And Uh, ultimately, I mean, he's going to be the president, and I think that these questions of legitimacy, they were not helpful for Obama, they were not helpful for Bush, and they're not going to be helpful for Trump.
0: I had an opportunity to speak with uh, a couple members of Congress uh, here in Pennsylvania, one Democrat, one Republican. Start off with uh, Congressman Lloyd Smucker. He's a freshman. Uh, Lloyd Smucker is from Lancaster County, represents the 16th District, which is Lancaster, Chester, and uh, Berks Counties. Uh, Here's Senator, uh, well, I say Senator, he was Senator, uh, State Senator Smucker, Congressman Smucker now. Congressman Lloyd Smucker, welcome to the program.
5: Thanks for having me.
0: You are a supporter of Donald Trump. He was the first Republican to win Pennsylvania since 1988. You've had a few months to think about that victory and a lot of issues since Election Day. A lot of thoughts must be going through your mind today about uh, what you want to see from the new president, what you want to hear. What are your thoughts on this inauguration day
5: 2017? Well, first I'm I'm excited to be here for uh, this inauguration. We just arrived uh, back in town and I have my uh, wife and kids with me as well, so I'm excited for all of them and all of us to uh, witness this uh, you know what's remarkable about our country is that uh, we can have a heated political uh, debate uh, campaign for a long period of time uh, and then we all work together to ensure this pen- uh, peaceful transition of power uh, which is really the hallmark of our democracy and so I'm excited for that uh, secondly I'm you know I'm really excited about the agenda that we're uh, talking about advancing under this uh, new administration and this new president. Um, It's some of the same issues that uh, I've been talking about and hearing about throughout my campaign, the idea that we have to get the economy moving, growing at a faster rate to provide more opportunity for people to live the American dream. Um, You know, I uh, I think we talked before I had uh, the opportunity to uh, start or buy a really small business 35 years ago and grow that business over a period of time. Uh, it's tough to do that today because of the regulatory environment. And this administration, Trump himself, they're talking about finding ways to reduce that regulatory burden to get government out of the way of our job creators. And we've already begun that process in Congress. We've pushed some major bills uh, that will uh, impact the. Uh, bureaucrats in the regulatory environment that we've that we've created. Uh, we're talking about uh, tax reform uh, that, again, I think will provide uh, the kind of environment where people are willing to invest their capital and will get the economy uh, growing again. So we're uh, we're going to be moving quickly. Um, I think the uh, new administration's agenda is very much in line with. The, what I think is important and what I think will move uh, – what I've been talking about in the campaign, I should say, and what what I think will move our country in the right direction and provide that kind of uh, opportunity for individuals. So I'm excited.
0: So far, what's getting the most media attention is the repeal of the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. Yes. You mentioned repeal of regulations. Give <laughs> an example of repeal of a regulation – that you think would benefit businesses in the 16th Congressional District?
5: Well, so uh, one of the bills that we passed, and as I mentioned, we passed a, a number of them, but one of them um, is called the RANGE Act. And what it does, it just simply requires an evaluation of the impact of, of each new regulation uh, on our economy. And any uh, bi- any, uh Piece of regulation that we would classify as major, that having over a 100 million dollar impact on the economy or the cost of doing business, has to come back to Congress for uh, approval, um, and uh, which is where I think it should be. What we've moved to uh, is almost a fourth branch of government, where you have uh, unelected bureaucrats, essentially the agencies that are. That are really filling in the laws and creating the new regulation uh, without any oversight from uh, the elected uh, people who represent, uh, elected individuals who represent the people. Um, so that's just one particular um, piece of legislation that will force those making the rules uh, to weigh the impact on small business and to weigh the impact on the economy. Um, You know, in terms of specific uh, regulation uh, in our area, uh, you know, farmers uh, have been for a long time uh, dealing with um, all the requirements in regards to the waters of the USA. Um, You know, uh, we all share the same goal, and that is we want uh, the Chesapeake to be clean. We want our waters to be clean. Even farmers want their kids to be able to fish in the waters and so on. Um, but what doesn't get accounted for is, um, is, and I have represented Lancaster County, so I've had a lot of interaction um, with farmers there. What hasn't been accounted for is all the good work that has already been done in terms of no-till, in terms of keeping animals out of the streams and so on. And too often we've seen from EPA a very heavy-handed approach, and what we need uh, is more of a partner. Um, and i you know i think that's just one example of a regulation where the unelected bureaucrats have taken the law too far
0: what do you want to hear from the new president today
5: well you know i i am as i said i'm excited about the agenda that he's been promoting and that has been talked about uh, there's been a lot of Communication between our leaders in Congress and the uh, Vice President and other uh, potential members, uh, incoming members of the Cabinet, um, and so we're putting together a, um, a framework for legislation, a regulatory environment that that uh, I think will move our country in the right direction. I expect that's what Trump will be talking about. And uh, that's what I'm excited about over the next 100 and 200 days.
0: Congressman, you probably realize that uh, we live in a divided country when it comes to politics. And Donald Trump himself has been a lightning rod for controversy. Mm -hmm. It would seem that he would have a major challenge, that it may be difficult for him to win over some people. What does the, the new president have to do? To bring the country together, or is that impossible?
5: Well, you know, I I can't speak for what he what his approach will be or what he should be doing. Um, I can tell you, in my experience um, in elected office for the past eight years, I was a small business owner for twenty five years and then served in the state senate for the past eight years, um, and. You know, it's really important, I mentioned before, we have these tough political campaigns, but uh, my goal, at least, when I uh, then took office, is to represent and work for uh, all of the people in the district that I represent, and that means finding solutions to some of the tough problems that we're faced with. And to do that, you're working with people that may not agree with you all the time, may rarely agree with you, but you're working with people in your own party, you're working across the aisle, uh, it takes a lot of listening. It takes a lot of working together to find solutions. It takes a lot of understanding where the other, you know, there's a lot of different viewpoints, a lot of different districts that are represented. You have to really take the time to to uh, understand the uh, people's, others' experiences, understand the needs of their districts, and you look to find common ground. And I think, I think that's really the way that we can be most successful and that we can find solutions to uh, to the problems that
0: we're faced with. That is Congressman Lloyd Smucker, Republican uh, from the 16th Congressional District here in Pennsylvania. Dr. O'Connell, by the way, we're joined by Dr. David O'Connell, assistant professor of political science at Dickinson College. Dr. O'Connell, one of the first things that you heard from Congressman Smucker and many other Republicans uh, had to do with rolling back regulations, and they most often mention EPA. Now, he mentioned it in the context of agriculture in Lancaster County, Chester County. But when you hear that, what do you think?
3: Well, I think it's to some extent hard to know because Trump has not been as organized in his transition as other presidents have been, particularly when it comes to acting on regulatory policy. I think back to George W. Bush sending Dick Cheney to stop the government printing presses to prevent Clinton's last minute changes from going into effect. And when you hear that Trump is planning on maybe starting work on Monday, uh, take, take some time to enjoy the weekend, I don't know that they have a a definitive plan about the things that they want to act on right away. And it's also hard to have that plan when none of these appointments have been confirmed yet, and major officials from the Obama administration are going to have to remain in place because they, they haven't been as organized as previous administrations. So when it comes to acting on those regulations, I think it remains to be seen what the priorities are going to be. When you say that they have not
0: been as organized as previous administrations, what do you mean?
3: Well, I I think that if you look at the planning that typically goes into taking office during a campaign, uh, that's a long-term process. Mitt Romney had a really organized team that was planning for him taking over the Uh, the executive office Uh, and Trump didn't really seem to invest much energy in that. I read somewhere that he didn't want to want to jinx it and get ahead of himself uh, that Chris Christie was originally supposed to be in place. And then of course he was, he was replaced Uh, and they've been kind of doing this thing um, on the fly and it matters. I always tell my students about John F. Kennedy's transition and how that caused problems for him because he comes into office and he meets with Eisenhower a few times he's briefed on plans for an invasion of cuba u.s back uh, yep invasion of cuba Uh, and his key advisors they didn't really have access to all of the classified information that they needed they don't have a good enough working relationship that they can tell the president he's not necessarily getting the best advice that he needs to make a good decision kennedy comes into office and he has to make a decision on the invasion in the first week and of course it's it's a disaster uh, a perfect failure Uh, and that was partly due to the fact that transitions are difficult times government stays in motion. Plans are in process now under the Obama administration that Trump's either going to have to continue or end. And you really have to have a team in place and have really thought about these things before you take office.
0: You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR news and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Welcome back to Smart Talk, the inauguration edition of Smart Talk. NPR coverage begins at uh, 10 a.m. this morning and goes until 4 this afternoon. So uh, stay tuned to WITF all day long to hear about the inauguration activities, get to hear the swearing in, and uh, also uh, the inaugural address of, uh, of Donald Trump. Uh, we also had an opportunity to speak with... Uh, Congressman Dwight Evans, he also is a freshman. Uh, Congressman Evans was in the state legislature for a long, long time, was head of the Appropriations Committee in the House when Democrats were in the majority. Uh, Very well respected, Uh, but he is a freshman member of Congress, and he is one of those Democrats who decided to boycott the uh, inauguration today. So let's listen to what uh, Congressman Evans had to say. Congressman Dwight Evans, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. So you were sworn in just a few weeks ago. The inauguration of Donald Trump would be the first presidential inauguration while you have been a member of Congress, but you've decided not to attend. Why?
6: Uh, Three reasons. First and foremost, uh, the issue around uh, President-elect Trump being the removal of health care from my constituents. The district I represent has about 193,000 people who are under the poverty aspect, and that would have real impact on them. That's the first thing. Secondly, the Russian hacking. Uh, I believe that's something we should take very serious. Hacking our institutions is something that should not be accepted. There should be some type of bipartisan investigation. And thirdly, the attack on Congressman John Lewis. John Lewis is a patriot. He has fought for this country, stood up for this country, stood up for social rights, social justice. And I believe that's not acceptable. So my view is that uh, President Trump, in a certain way, in my view, how you should conduct yourself, the election is over, and we should move forward. But I don't think, through his comments, he's willing to move forward.
0: When you say that uh, we should be willing to move forward, I think that many of us, most of the country, would agree that, uh, you know, we do have a, a political divide, a partisan divide across the country. By... You and uh, dozens of other Democratic uh, members of Congress not attending the inauguration. There may be some people who would say, well, that just goes to, you know, make this divide a little bit wider. How do you respond to that?
6: Uh, I personally wouldn't agree with that. Um, President Trump will be sworn in at 12 o'clock on the 20th. Uh, He will then be the president of the United States. I'm a member of the Congress. I'm one of 535 members. I will do what I have to do to put the constituents first. I've always done that, demonstrated that through my career. This is somewhere I do not believe that I can participate in this celebration, uh, in my view. So I think that the issues I have, I take it serious. When you talk about health care, that's something you shouldn't take lightly. You know, I have health care, Scott, you have health care. President-elect Trump has health care. There's some of my constituents that don't have health care. The Russian hacking, we should not take that serious. We should take that very serious, I should say to you, because there's something wrong with that. And last but not least, John Lewis, Congressman Lewis, for what he has meant to this nation. So, yes, I think we should work together. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, he will be sworn in as the next president of the United States. I was sworn in as the uh, congressman on January the 3rd. I'm ready to go to work. I've been going to work. I've been there and I'm working.
0: Congressman, if you had the opportunity to sit down with the president-elect, who will be the president today, uh, what would you say to him? What uh, kind of issues or what issues would you bring up with him?
6: Well, the number one issue I'll bring up to him is about jobs, creating um, sustainable jobs, good quality jobs. What can we do about our trade policy? What can we do about our tax policy? Those are the things that I would talk about and how I would be willing to work with you on trade policy, on tax policy, on infrastructure policy. I'd be more than happy um, to work with you. But I also would give a little note on the side to to, to kind of put his Twitter uh, account away uh, and not get into um, this tweeting uh, that stirs all of this controversy up. I would talk to him about health care. I would talk to him at the end of the day. Is not enough to, to repeal the Affordable Care Act, but what do you have in a constructive way that will send a message to the people and not scare them? People's got to be scared out of their wits because they don't have an idea of what is going to replace the Affordable Care, uh, Affordable Care, Care Act.
0: That's a Democratic Congressman Dwight Evans, who represents a portion of the city of Philadelphia. Dr. O'Connell... First, let's talk about uh, the Democratic congressmen who have decided to boycott today. Is there any precedent for that? I mean, throughout history, uh, has there been widespread boycotting of a presidential inauguration?
3: Well, I don't know what would qualify as widespread, but certainly congressmen have skipped inaugurations in the past. It's a week that they don't have to be there, they don't have to be out in the cold, and sometimes they do have political concerns about the incoming administration. Uh, John Lewis originally said that this was going to be the first inauguration that he was going to skip, but that's not true as it turns out, that he had also skipped George Bush's first inauguration in 2000 out of concerns that he was not a legitimate president either because of... Uh, the recount in Florida and the Supreme Court's role ending that recount. Uh, so I do think that this is something that that happens uh, to some degree um, in most elections.
0: When I said widespread. Yeah, I, I was thinking that. Uh Possibly, this is the biggest boycott. The most members of Congress who have decided to stay away.
3: Yeah, it's it's possible, but I I don't know for for sure.
0: So, your response to reaction to what you heard Congressman Evans had to uh, to say.
3: Well, I mean, I generally think that to some extent it's disappointing when members of government skip the inauguration. Uh, When we say that it's a celebration, a celebration of what? Is it a celebration of Donald Trump? To some extent, it is. But it's also a celebration of American democracy and the peaceful transfer of power. And what makes our political society work is free and fair elections. And I think that it sends a powerful message to the country when Political opponents show up to witness that ceremony. I have a lot of respect for Hillary Clinton, who's going to be there today. And it's no, it's it can't be more difficult for anyone else in this entire country to be at that inauguration than it will be for Hillary Clinton today. The Democrats talked a lot during obama's presidency that the republicans wouldn't give him a chance they were the party of no they were obstructionists. and i think that if you want better behavior from your opponents you have to give a better example too so i'd hope that the democrats would take a step back and say that if we're going to be successful as a political society if our government's going to work that we need to approach each other in in good faith
0: mm-hmm. You know, I asked that question if uh, Congressman Evans had the opportunity to sit down with uh, President Trump. You know, members of Congress. I just there was an excellent uh, PBS Frontline uh, earlier this week talking about um, talking about a divided America, but it, mostly it was talking about the, the last eight years of the Obama administration. One of the first things that President Obama did was bring Republican leaders from the Congress in to sit down and meet. Now, right away, uh, when some of his proposals were out there uh, and there was disagreement, the Republican leader said, no, we won't go along with that. But th- what this program was pointing out is that the president didn't you know, reach out then afterwards. The Basically, right there at the very beginning, it was established that we're not going to budge either way. It almost has the same kind of feeling here.
3: Yeah. So I, th- I think I remember... That uh, and my memory may be a little fuzzy, but I was watching Obama's healthcare summit, where he did that televised healthcare summit, and had all these experts and members of Congress come to talk about the bill. And at the end of this process, where they were talking about this, Obama said something to the effect of, "Well, we won the election, so we're going to do what we think is best in the end." And that's that's fair to an extent, but if you're serious about working with the opposition, it requires constant cultivation of those relationships. I think that's one of the things Reagan did very well, that he and Tip O'Neill had political differences, meaning political differences, but they found a way to be friends uh, to an extent, right? They found a way to be friends and they would be able to meet for a drink and share things together. And I think that you have to you have to have a, a meaningful commitment to bipartisanship that's not just for one bill, it's not for one conversation, it's not for one day, it's every day over the course of an entire presidential term. And that, that applies to both. Trump and his opponents in Congress.
0: Congressman Evans also mentioned uh, Donald Trump's use of Twitter, uh, social media overall. Uh, He said just yesterday, uh, Donald Trump did, uh, was quoted as saying that he's going to continue to tweet as president of the United States. Good thing, bad thing.
3: (laughs) Uh, Well, I think it depends on what you think Trump is trying to accomplish with his Twitter account. If we're willing to accept that he's being somewhat strategic in the way he's using his social media platform, then it might be a good leadership Technique. Uh, I think that there is some evidence that Trump has used Twitter as a distraction. When you think back to the announcement that he had settled his fraud case for Trump University, uh, that he said he would never do that. And then he engages in this Twitter fight with the cast of Hamilton over an event that he wasn't at. And he wasn't really referred to and no one would have paid any attention to it if Trump hadn't drawn his own attention to it. Then maybe he's doing this as a way to shift the conversation away from negative things that he doesn't want to talk about, which could be quite useful to him. But on the other hand, it does seem like he is using his Twitter in an impulsive fashion. He has extremely thin skin, that if someone like John Lewis comes out and says he's not a legitimate president, instead of just saying it's a pitch in the dirt, I'm going to ignore it, I'm not swinging at it, he has to he has to respond. And then that creates these cycles of feuds, which are really just a comment responded by, to by a few tweets, and that I don't think is a good distraction. I saw a
0: poll earlier this week that said that uh, just 9% of the American people supported uh, the president's continued use of Twitter. Uh, so that, yeah. that shows that even uh, the, the public out there and even his supporters kind of look at it. You know, there is potential danger in that. I mean, he talk, if he talks about adversaries like Russia or China or, you know, uh, adversaries of the United States, and he does it in a fashion that is uh, impulsive. I mean, there's a real concern that that could escalate. Also, you know, we've heard many people say that uh, just by the sake of a, a tweak, a tweet, he can uh, you know, markets can go up and down, and we've seen that as he's been tweeting over the last uh, month and a half. So it, there is some potential potential for some real danger.
3: Yeah, I saw that there's now an app for companies to track when Trump mentions them on his Twitter account so they can know if they're going to see a bad market fluctuation. But uh, I think that hopefully... In the long term, if Trump continues to use his Twitter account the way he's been using it, people would take a step back and say that his posts need to be taken with uh, a grain of salt, that a lot of these are coming early in the morning, they're impulsive, that he's using his Twitter account actually like a normal person might use his Twitter account, whereas Hillary Clinton during her campaign apparently had 14 people who would approve any tweets that she would send out. So you could be sure that anything that was coming on her Twitter account was vetted, it was thoughtful, it was probably representative of her real opinions. For Trump, I think we're going to need to say that maybe this isn't all that important when he throws something out there on on Twitter, that it might be a distraction, it might be nothing at all, and he's going to forget about it in the future. I can understand him wanting to continue to use Twitter, though, because it's the, it's the same thing with Obama coming in and thinking that he's going to be successful by giving speeches that are going to persuade the American public that he's right. A lot of presidents have that view. They think they won the election because they convinced people they were the best candidate because they had certain talents as a public communicator. For Obama, that was through speeches. Through Reagan, that was through speeches. For Trump, it's it's Twitter. I think that he probably sees that as part of the reason he's been able to connect with the American public. And he also sees it as a way around a hostile media that's not going to give him a fair shake.
0: And that's what I wanted to touch on next. I mean, we in the media are uh, very concerned about the, the things that he has said and how he has tried, you know, says the dishonest media, uh, you know, and that people, the American people are not getting the real story. Uh, we as journalists are, no, I don't know if I've ever had an op- opportunity to speak with uh, Donald Trump, but we as journalists are thinking, okay, how... How do we get to the truth here? How do we do it in a way that is not confrontational for the sake of confrontational sake? I mean, it's an adversarial relationship mm-hmm. for many times anyway, but... I mean this is something that and they you know the administration just this week they talked about moving uh, the White House press pool out of the White House. So this is something that uh, the media in particular is paying particular attention
3: to. Yeah, and I think that for me was the saddest thing about that BuzzFeed dossier uh that when you have major news outlets reporting on something that is clearly clearly not news, uh, that it's unverified information from anonymous sources published by an anonymous person at the time, no confirmation from any government sources that any of these allegations were true, that that hurts the media's credibility performing their key role as a check on Donald Trump. So I think they need to, reporters need to do their job, they need to be aggressive, they need to hold Trump accountable, but they have to recognize that if they make mistakes, Trump is going to exploit those to his advantage, ultimately, and that can hurt the credibility of the press in the future.
0: Mm-hmm. We only have about uh, two minutes left, and Dr. O'Connor, I want to thank you very much for uh, being with us today. We're about to start our coverage uh, of the inauguration on NPR. It's a long day. I, I asked you this question very early on uh, when you you came on today, but uh, for those just tuning in or uh, you know thinking a little bit more about it, what would you encourage Americans, those listening here today, to be looking for?
3: Well, I, as I said at the start of the program, I think that I would be looking at the tone of the speech, that Trump's speech after the uh, Republican convention was too dark. It was too negative. It was too long. He had a much better address the night of his victory in the election. So I would hope that he would stress those same types of unifying themes and speaking in a sympathetic and humble way towards people who didn't vote for him. I would hope that it would be a shorter address uh, and I would be looking if he finds a way of of really capturing his vision for America and the future in a specific way. Not just make America great again, but how he's going to make America great again as well.
0: You know, and the minute we have left, something else very unique about Donald Trump is He supposedly is writing his own speech.
3: (laughs) which, and, And I don't know. This is one of the difficulties that Trump has as a public communicator. When is he at his best? It's actually when he doesn't have notes or a speech or a teleprompter. And he's just kind of winging it and playing off a crowd that can get him in trouble. But that's when he's most entertaining, most energetic, most connected with his audience. So I think if he's trying to write a speech, you got, you got to find a balance of that. What, How do you capture the persona of Trump that people obviously liked enough to vote for him for president, while at the same time giving an address that is sober, balanced, and not going to unsettle international waters? <laughs>
0: I didn't think we'd be talking about unsettling international waters, <laughs> yeah. but it is something that uh, has, to be, uh, has to be brought up. Uh, Dr. David O'Connell, Assistant Professor of Political Science at Dickinson College, thank you very much for being with us today. Thanks so much. Coming up, uh, as, you, as you just heard, uh, we will be having coverage throughout the day NPR of the inauguration. Also, one thing I would encourage you to do, uh, WITF Smart Talk now has a Twitter feed. Uh, if you would like to follow us, it's at Smart Talk WITF.